We're going to Ephesians 5, 22 through 33. It's about wives and husbands, sort of. It's even more about Jesus Christ and his relationship with the church or ours with him. Verse 21, and I'll, I'll hope that that police officer arrives early because I've got the shortest sermon I've ever attempted. <laughs> it's, it's probably not going to be, I, I don't know where I find the extra stuff that I say. It's not in the manuscript, but it, it always happens. And uh, because there's not that many verses, 22 through 33, uh, it, it seems like it should go quick. So right off the bat, I'm going to say, well, 21 belongs there too. So, so we're going to look at 21 a little bit. 21 says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submission out of reverence. So let's look at those two words, submission and reverence. Submission I looked up some quotes, and it was surprising to me that I wanted to bring a worldly view and a heavenly view of the word submission. And if I looked at 25 quotes, I'll bet 22, 23 of them were referencing the Bible. It's not something that is real common to the world. We apparently, in the world, don't like it. So I pulled somebody that I respect. I didn't necessarily agree with his politics, but I do believe that he was a world leader. He inspired many believers and unbelievers alike, Republicans and Democrats. He, he was the president of the United States, John F. Kennedy. And he said about submission, the cost of freedom is always high, but Americans have always paid it. And one path we shall never choose, and that is the path of surrender or submission. He's saying we will never submit. That's a worldview. And here's a heavenly view. It's a quote by William Hendrickson, somebody I'd never heard of. And then last week, John used him in his sermon. And I had already known that I was going to. I thought, that's, that's just that's confirmation that he belongs here. Um, and his, his quote, his attitude towards submission is this. When grace changes the heart, submission out of fear changes to submission out of love. And true humility is born. I like that order. That the changing of the heart will change your attitude about submission. It's no longer out of fear, it's out of love. And all of this produces humility. So that's submission, both a worldview and a heavenly view. And then reverence as a noun, I just went to the dictionary, as a noun is defined as a deep respect for something or someone. So it's respect. Reverence as a verb is defined as regard or treat with deep respect. So again, this respect is coming through. And in fact, the, the last verse of our passage here brings up respect where it's a repeat of when he was saying submit. So he's got respect and submission are closely tied. So let's read this passage and find out what we're supposed to be looking at in a marriage relationship to see 
a relationship between ourselves and Christ. Starting with verse 22 of chapter 5, Ephesians. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Let's pray. Lord God, when we approach words that are tough for the world, we ask ourselves, am I being faithful to you, Lord? And am I taking those same words and making them difficult in my life? And Lord, we don't want to. We want to take your word and apply it to our lives because it is the truth. We want to take this truth and treat it gently but accurately. Lord, I pray for what I have to say this morning to be led by you and your spirit and what is heard and applied by our church is done in the same vein, that it's there to glorify you, Lord. We pray that in everything we do, we glorify you, whether it's in our marriage, whether it's the witness of a marriage that's uh, in our close community, our, our, our parents or maybe children who are married, uh, we can look at each other's marriages and, and test or see what imitation is happening that points to you and your church. Lord, it is all about you and it will always be all about, about you. So let these next minutes of sermon be all about you, Lord. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. So a properly ordered marriage walks in love and imitates the relationship between the church and its Lord, Jesus Christ. I'll say that again. A properly ordered marriage walks in love and imitates the relationship between the church and its Lord, Jesus Christ. So the marriage is an imitation of the relationship that we're having with Christ as a church. Paul begins the one another's by looking at this marriage relationship. John Hansen last week brought up uh, John Piper's image of, of two rails, same train track. And I think it fits this passage even better. Well, really, the, the letter, the section of the letter is all one, so it, it fits both his sermon and my sermon uh, almost perfectly. One rail is the marriage, or is the relationship in a marriage. 
and that's just chugging along. The second rail, the other rail, is the relationship of, church, of the church with Christ. And those two rails are so parallel, so perfect, that it'll never throw the train off the track. They're heading in the same direction. They parallel one another every single inch. They are always with one another. They really parallel well. And Paul uses marriage as an image of that relationship between the church and him. And he starts with submission, wife to her own husband, and then moves to sacrifice, husband to wife, out of love. Remember the first couple of verses of chapter 5. They tell us to be imitators of God because Christ loved and gave himself up for us. The order that Paul took on in marriage is submission with the wives and sacrifice in that order, the husbands. Uh, This is the same order that Christ took on. First submission to the Father and then sacrifice for us out of love. Same parallel. Christ is the head of the church and Christ's sacrifice for the church is the lens by which we need to look at the marriage relationship. Or maybe it's easier for you to connect with if I were to say we should be looking at the marriage relationship imitating the church's relationship with Christ. Two parallel rails, same track. And a a quick thing to mention before I, I really dig in is if you're not married, don't think this is nap time. This is applicable to as much to the single as it is to the married. If you've chosen a life of singleness, the comparison of roles in a marriage to the church and Christ are still valid and should be considered from the view of how to honor Christ as you were part of the church. So you may not be in that worldly, I, I hesitate to use that word because there's a lot of heavenly guided marriages, but In our world, in the flesh that we're in, we're in these marriages, those that are married. And and we need to be examples for those that have chosen singleness so that they too can still see what this relationship should look like. And if you're, maybe you've chosen singleness with no intention to get married, but maybe you're just not old enough to be married yet. Or... You have every desire to be married, and it hasn't happened yet. Well, you should be looking at it too, because you will need to look at what I'm about to go over, these ideas of submission and sacrifice, and say, will that fit in who I've chosen to marry? Am I dating somebody and testing this person in this relationship and saying, yeah, I'm good with this? I could submit to this person. I can sacrifice for this person. This fits. Because those are criteria that should you marry them, you will be living under. So pay close attention to them. I don't think it's any different than you say, well, I want security in a marriage. I want financial security. Well, then you'd be looking for a husband with a good job. Or you'd be looking for a wife who will support your career. Well, the same way. I'm going to submit to the head of my household. It's somebody I'm willing to submit to. And if I'm going to sacrifice for this woman, she better be special (laughs) 
because I don't sacrifice easily on my own. So there are things just to, to measure things by. So now we can start. Oh, and before we do, for those who are not married and we're talking about this high bar of marriage, I don't want you to overly worry about it. It's, it surely is a big deal and you should be paying close attention and a good steward of the relationship. But there's a way to do it. And as you look around in the marriages in this church, you're going to see some that you're thinking, oh, they can use some help and they, they probably are trying to find it. And others that you say, man, that is rock solid. And, and I love that. How are they doing that? So here is how. And it starts with verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. This idea is not just in Ephesians, where Paul speaks of this headship. We can also see it in a parallel passage, Colossians 3.18. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. It's Paul telling it again, not with this extra verse of 21 saying that we have to submit to one another. He says it plainly and simply all by itself in 3.18, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Titus 2.5, also Paul saying it, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. So he's same idea, that wives are to be submitting to their husbands at home. Kind and submissive. And I think it should be enough. They were saying, well, you know, that you keep quoting Paul. Well, what if Paul's wrong? I got two things to say about that. One is Paul's in the Bible and he says it more than once. So I'm not misreading it. I guess it's more than two things. I'll go to a bunch of things. And even if you were to say, well, well, Paul is this sexist that, that we just can't agree with anymore. It, it was good for his time, but it's not good anymore. Well, the fact remains that it's in the Bible. And if you're going to dismiss Paul because it doesn't seem like it's the right time anymore, then you're dismissing what the Bible says. And if you want to dismiss this section of the Bible, you have to dismiss the whole Bible. We're not allowed to take just the pieces we like and say, oh yeah, I believe in what this word says, as long as it agrees with me. But in this case, even if you were to go past those first two points, the third point is, Paul's not the only one saying it. 1 Peter 3, 1 through 5. I'll flip over there. Because I have a tact, I could be there right away. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands. Peter says this, wives, be subject to your own husbands. So that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by, their con by the conduct of their wives. So the husbands that don't believe may become believers. When they see your respectful and pure conduct, that would be what would bring them. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of your hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. So in this submission, this gentle and quiet spirit, 
what I like about that verse or that passage is that it shows you God's holding that precious. You're precious in his sight. That would be reward enough to do it. And it's spread throughout the Bible, the idea of the headship of the husband to wife. Genesis 3.16, way back in the beginning. And I, I don't know what it is, sidebar, what are all, all the 316s are cool. John 3.16, Genesis 3.16. I, I just find it over and over. I think James has one that, that thrills me. Um, but John 3.16, or John, excuse me, Genesis 3.16 uh, it's just after the fall, and God is telling Adam and Eve what's up for future generations. And he says to the woman, like verse 16, to the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. So it's established very early, and marriage is established very early in the church, in the Bible. If there is accepting the husband as the head of the wife, it would be in the application of the word. Paul's not saying the wife is to submit to all husbands, only her own. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. And Perhaps the more important thing to note is that Paul is not saying the only relationship with Christ is through the husband. I mean, absolutely, Jesus maintains a personal relationship with all believers of him, all his believers. And we can attest that from experience. I don't think anybody in here that is professing Christ doesn't understand the idea of there is a personal relationship. So if you're a wife in a marriage, you can still, not you can, you do still have that, but you also have a husband to submit to. Headship is a matter of order, not of who is more important. There's nothing saying that the wife is less important to the man, or the husband, because he's, she is submitting to him. God makes it clear that someone has to be accountable to the family's relationship with him. And he chose to put the husband in the proper order of who that is. I don't know why he chose it, but he chose it. All the things that God chose are in his wisdom, not ours. Some things are for him to understand, not us. But in this case, it doesn't, doesn't beat around the bush. He is simply putting the head or the husband in the head relationship of a marriage. And with that biblical view of the wife submitting to the husband, how does that imitate Christ? I mean, there in the beginning of chapter 5, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us. Paul tells us in the continuation of verse 23, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, as is himself its savior. Submission precedes salvation. As we submit to others, that whole verse 21 thing, we're in great company. Not just with one another as members of a church submitting to Christ, we're doing that with each other, 
But we're in the company of Christ. We're imitators of Christ because Christ was submissive. Christ submitted to the Father. We shouldn't have a problem with it. Submission is something that doesn't have to be difficult, doesn't have to be controversial. It's just something we do. So with Christ submitting, or excuse me, we are imitating Christ who submitted to the Father's plan of salvation, and there it is again, submission precedes salvation. So this whole notion of the order of things, it's, you, you, you're not going to sacrifice without submitting first. And the sacrifice that Christ did is what led to our salvation. Submission precedes salvation. And then Paul continues his analogy of marriage as an imitation of God by looking at the husband's role. And you might note that Paul has a lot more instruction on the husband than the wife. I think about six times more instruction for the husband than the wife. And that makes sense to me. Uh, the wife is to follow the husband. Well, follow him in, in what? So there's about to be these instructions to the husband to make him worthy of following. He also spends a lot more time on the work of Christ when he's talking to the husbands than when he's talking to the wives. Verse 25, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Does anybody hear submission in that statement? It's there. Husbands love your wives. Am I going to submit to do that? It's a command. You're not going to follow out a command unless you're submitting to he who commands it. R.C. Sproul said about submission, we are all servants. The only question is, whom will we serve? For me to follow a command, I'm submitting to the authority making the command. And this should be comforting both to husbands and wives. I mean, think of an army. The general sees the big picture and maneuvers his lieutenants from that higher view. The lieutenants have their orders from their ground view of the battle and convey to the troops their assignments. The general would be akin to God. God has this eternal, omniscient view. He is seeing the big picture. The lieutenant would be the husband. He's got the ground view. He knows the troops. He receives his orders. And as he knows his troops on the ground and commands his troops, accordingly, the husband loves his wife, sees the troops, sees the wife, and conveys the commands, conveys the things of God to his wife. As I was thinking through that analogy, I knew the biggest weakness is that God is great and can also directly order his troops without the lieutenants. Fortunately, Jesus does maintain that personal relationship with 
all his troops, husbands and wives and everybody else. And I said this should be comforting to husbands and wives. And here's the why. Through the husband, the wife is being led by God. That should be her comfort, knowing that the, the leading is through the husband, but it's from God. And for the husband, he's not coming up with his own material. He is being led by Christ, and that takes the monkey off his back, so long as he's submissive again, submissive to Jesus. So back to the imitation of Christ. Let's peek into the details Paul gives us about Christ's relationship with the church. They're foundational to a marriage. From verse 25, we see Christ loves the church and Christ sacrificed for the church. Verse 26, Christ sanctifies the church. Christ instructs the church in the word. Verse 27, Christ displays the church to himself. It's like he's taking pride in the church. Christ sets the church apart as holy without blemish. I mean, you look at that list and you say, wow, husbands, are you doing all those things in your marriage all the time? Probably not all the time. Is Christ doing that for the church? Yes, he is. Is he doing it all the time? Yes, he is. Well, let me change the question a little. What exactly is Paul asking us to do to imitate Christ. It's in verse 28, in the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. How can I do these things in the same way as Christ? Imitate Christ in the power of Christ. Let Christ do the work. It's the reason we have so many failures up front, why husbands aren't being worthy to follow, because they are not following Christ. They're not getting their instructions from Christ. Some do, some don't. The successful marriages do. Less successful marriages or, or periods in a marriage that is less successful don't. And Paul gets really logical. Christ loves the church. The church is Christ's body. Husbands, wives are your body. Christ loves the church. Love them. Husbands love them. Paul even anticipates a struggle of, of what do you mean my wife is my body? And he answers with scripture. Verse 31 quotes Genesis 2:24. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. It's one body. It's almost like well he does say Christ or Husbands, love the wives as you do your own body, because you're doing that. You are one body. Your marriage is one body, according to that verse. And what can we take from verse 32? This mystery is profound, the, the quote itself. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery, that verse, is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. That verse in verse 33 is what flipped my thinking around from Paul displaying the marriage relationship as a list of instructions to that of being an imitator of Christ as in his relationship with us, his church. The mystery is profound. I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. 
He said it for me. I don't know why it took me so long to figure it out. Uh, we had our staff meeting on Tuesday. I had my sermon 80% finished. And we talked. I finally realized, Kelly, when you study Scripture, you're always studying what is it saying about Christ. And when I wrote that first sermon, I wasn't doing that. I was studying marriage. I wasn't studying Christ. And then that, that verse just hit me like a, like a two by four across the head. It's like, no, this is about me, Jesus is saying. So I ripped it up, threw it away, and started over. And it wasn't a half hour. I mean, it was all so clear in my mind once that clicked, once I made it about Jesus and not about me or my marriage or your marriages. And then Paul says, however, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. That, however, is saying that even though I want you to know that marriage is an imitator of Christ and pay attention to it that way and honor and glorify me in your marriage. His big however says, those instructions I was giving you, they do apply to you. So see the imitation, but live the marriage. Live out what it's saying. I left script, by the way. <laughs> um, The, the, the however also, I mean, you think about it, it's, it's primarily when, he, when he's revealing a mystery, you've got major theology happening. And his major theology is the union of the church to Jesus Christ. That's what Scott said this morning. He said, some even say that marriage was built show the relation, that relationship. And I, I think he's right. And it's probably why marriage is always used throughout the Bible um, as this project forward and say, yeah, okay, now that uh, all these divisions that existed before, what we've been saying all the way through Ephesians, the wall was broken down and that sort of things. Now that all of those are gone, you get to see what all the history of the Bible was about. And all that history Shows those two train tracks. Here's this family relationship, and then here's this church and, and, the, and Christ, its head relationship, and they parallel. They are the same. If you can understand this, you can understand that. And if you can understand that, you could live this. They go together. You can't separate them. It's a union that has to stay. So his however statement is just an emphasis of what he was saying. And that emphasis, he says it there, is that the husbands are to love the wife as himself, and the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. And I said it earlier that that is just repeating what he already said. But at first he said, wife, submit to your husband. And then on the however, he says, see to it that she respects her husband. 
So if you're a little confused about what this submission means, and there's supposed to be a submission in everything, probably a key word for you to look at is respect. Respect your husbands. And do you remember what the reverence, fear of the Lord, out of reverence for the Lord, out of reverence for Christ, and that reverence de- definition was respect. How do we respect really one another's, all of them, but shown in a marriage? Like give the, give the wife, the husband, whichever direction it's going, give them time. Let them say what they have to say. Let them, let them share in the marriage. To be dogmatic, to assert an authority over your wife that is not intended by God is just, well, one, disrespectful, but it, it, it lessens this union of one body. It's like, oh, well, I'll be real bossy of her in this situation, but I'm not going to be that way to myself, but we are of one body. I guess I need to be consistent in my respect. Okay, that, that's kind of the what, but where's the how? How do we be imitators of Christ in our marriage relationships? Well, I, I let it out earlier. To imitate Christ, use the power of Christ. Give yourself up to Christ in humility and let him do the work. And that's in either relationship, as the husband or the wife. Humility, which seems to work its way into every one of my sermons, is the key. And it's rightful that it would fit itself into every one of my sermons. Without humility, you're not going to put God first. With humility, it's not hard to put God first. And once God's first, his instructions become part of your life. It, it, well, the Hendrickson quote, when grace changes the heart, submission out of fear changes to submission out of love, and true humility is born. Humility is seen in giving yourself up to Christ. Humility is seen in submission and sacrifice in that proper order. Humility is seen in the proper order of submission leading to sacrifice. Submission and sacrifice couldn't be more separate from self. You're not going to do either one when it's all about you. You don't want to submit to anybody and you don't have any desire to sacrifice to anybody. But with the humility that we gain from accepting Christ as our Savior, we are we're not only willing to submit and sacrifice, we want to. First submit to Christ's leading and sacrifice won't feel like a penalty. It will feel like the natural order of love. I was getting my, my hair cut on Wednesday. Eddie, is it okay? And the, the lady cutting my hair is not Mary. And I, she said, what's going on this week? Do you happen to be preaching? Yeah, I am. You ought to stop by. And 
we, we don't know her, you don't know her yet. Um, maybe one day she will stop by. Um, but I told her what I was going to be preaching on and, and that it leads with wives submit to your husbands. And she, I wasn't even finished. She knew what it said. She has a Bible knowledge. And she said, but I'm not married. And I thought, yeah. And I don't want to make the mistake of not talking to single people when I'm doing this. And I did a little bit earlier. And your application is, well, it's really not different than the married person's application. I mean, you, you have somebody to submit to if you've chosen singleness. Marilyn Eschler says it all the time. My husband is Jesus Christ. I am submitting to him fully. And it's the right attitude. It's a great attitude. So, you know, everybody who's single, I want you to submit to Jesus Christ. Everybody who's not single, I want you to submit to Jesus Christ. So what does this land on? Let's submit to Jesus Christ. And then any sacrifice that comes out of that will be in the natural order of the way God intends it. Bam, we're done. I mean, that's it. It doesn't have to be more complicated. That's why I said, this will be my shortest sermon. We don't have anywhere to go in application other than submit to the rightful authority. We have all kinds of other places that we can go inside of that. I mean, we had a prayer earlier saying, hey, let's submit to the authority that God assigns through the elections that are about to happen in a month. You can hate the results. Doesn't mean you don't submit to the authority that God put in place. You can, there, there's a lot of the world that hates the idea of man as the head of the relationship in a marriage. Go ahead, hate it. You still got to do it. You still got to submit to it. The world won't. The world ends in divorce. And I speak from personal experience. For those who don't know, I was married before and I did get a divorce. I was not a believer at the time. If I were, I don't think it would have happened. I would have had the strength of Christ holding it together. So whether you're in singleness or in your marriage relationship, you've got to be paying attention to the same thing. Submit to Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we desire to give ourselves over to you. We need your constant help to set aside our selfishness. We submit to your better ways and ask you to replace our wants and desires with yours. The world has foolish ways and is active all around us. We want not to intimidate, to imitate the world, but to imitate you, Lord. We want to glorify you, Jesus, and are instructed by today's passage to do that in our marriages. We want our marriages to be a witness to believers and not yet believers. We lift up the marriage relationships in our church to you, Lord. Use husbands to sanctify them, make them holy, set apart from the world, displaying them without spot or blemish. Lord, continue your promise to hold precious the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit in the wives in our church. Finally, Lord, I lift up the unmarried in the church. Give them peace in their singleness and devotion to you. Amen.